So I just wanted to, I want to take a step further because um, wholesaling is a um, it's uh, it's driven by you know by the amount of deals you do. It's quantity. Yeah. Um, flipping's not always about quantity. It's about um, you know you can you might might take five wholesale four or five wholesalers to make the same thing you're making in a flip. Perfect. What's going on, everybody? Jamel Gibbs here. Welcome to another podcast episode. Today, we have a very good friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for several years at this point. He's an active real estate investor in the Tampa area, and uh, he's absolutely crushing it with his rehab business. I thought it would be fitting to have someone uh, who is actively doing rehabs, no matter what the market cycle is. Uh, Jason is definitely an expert when it comes to rehabs. And it's ironic because I actually started my business as a rehabber. And we're talking, you know, early 2000s. Uh, by the time I was, you know, uh, it was 2005, 2006, I made a lot of money in real estate simply buying and fixing properties. Um, shortly after that, I personally got into wholesaling. Uh, and then I got into creative real estate investing and other aspects of the business as well. Uh, but I thought it'd be interesting to have another guest. Now, you know, we've had recent guests who are actively rehabbing uh, in this market. Personally, I chose to stop rehabbing uh, a couple of years ago uh, for uh, focus reasons. I wanted to focus primarily on my wholesaling and my creative real estate investing. Uh, but I really thought it would, it would be good to have someone else on who's actively doing rehabs in a profitable way. Because if you're rehabbing houses, you know that it's a roll, it can be a roller coaster ride. If you're not actively rehabbing houses, you're going to learn how you can do it successfully today. And Jason is definitely, look, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm friends with Jason, so I know he's actively doing the business. I know that um, he's actively posting pictures online of you know, uh, previous rehabs or active rehabs that he has right now, and that tells me that he's actively making money. If you see someone who's continually doing it over and over again, they're not going to do it if it's not profitable. And I know that for sure, Jason is profitable in his business. And like I said, you know, rehabbing can be a roller coaster ride, but on the flip side to that, if you do it the right way, if you do it the right way, it can be very, very lucrative. And that's why I wanted to have Jason on the line today because he specializes in rehabbing houses. He, he does wholesaling as well, but his uh, preference is rehabbing houses. So I really wanted to hear what Jason had to say today. Uh, I know that you guys are going to benefit from this. Uh, the, the beautiful part about rehabbing uh, just so you guys know, is you're going to get much larger checks than you would on a wholesale deal. So keep that in the back of your mind. You know, I'm sure there's a, a formula. I'm actually, uh, if Jason doesn't share it, I'll share it with you on this uh, uh, podcast today in regards to uh, how to stay uh, liquid while you're rehabbing houses. Uh, but for the most part, 
rehabbing is a, a very good business, is very lucrative if it's done the right way. So I want to welcome Jason Gaston to the call. What's up, man? What's going on, Jamel? Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it's a pleasure, brother. I'm looking forward to, uh, to really hearing what you have to say in regards to, to rehabbing houses, primarily because you know, I, I've rehabbed houses. You know, it's been, I've been in the business for close to 20 years now. Majority of that time, I was rehabbing houses up until maybe two years ago when I started. Um, I, I did a new development project. We built 33 houses on a plot of land, um, and I slowed down on the rehabs. Uh, but then I just kind of halted when it came to rehabs, primarily because, again, you know, wholesaling, you're not going to make as much money, but you don't have to put in as much effort. What I like about what you have going on is you're systemized with the whole thing. You're making a lot of money doing it. So really wanted to have you on the call, man. It's a real pleasure to have you, brother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My, my, my journey was a little bit opposite of yours. You started out rehabbing. I started out wholesaling and then added rehabbing to that. Uh, just because in the beginning, um, I was looking to generate capital first, right? So, you know, to uh, get myself out of the rat race, you know, instead of working at nine to five, I was working in a warehouse in the hot heat of Florida. And that was no fun at all. Mm. But yeah, I started out with wholesaling and then did rehabbing. And also a couple of years back, we did some new construction projects too. Uh, but we backed off of that because the market's a little uncertain. So we're not, I feel like whenever the market changes, the first thing to go is the new construction. So uh, I would try to, I, tr I backed off of that to more just the straight rehabs instead of any new construction type projects. Yeah, man. So you, you've been around for 10 years, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how you got started in this uh, thing we call real estate investing? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what my, my, my initial interest in real estate was called my uncle, who also is in North Carolina. He's in Charlotte, not too far from you up there in Greensboro. Yep. Um, he, uh, he was buying a lot of subject too, doing a lot of creative rentals. Um, so he had created a, a portfolio of, of creative finance rentals. And he, he was always telling me, man, you, get in, you need to get into this stuff. You need to get in real estate. Um, so I was inspired by what he did. Um, and then I started searching around. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the day I bought, I spent, now you get, now they give it for like a 30 day free trial or some craziness, but I spent like three grand on freedom soft. You remember that when that yep. came out, the big yep. launch way back then? I was a part of um, it, man. <laughs> yeah, you were a part of it. I was only, I was, I was on the other end, maxing out two credit cards to join it. Oh, <laughs> uh, so that, so my initial start was I was influenced by, uh, by my, my, my uncle in North Carolina, and, uh, and then I, when all that big launch came out, I got sucked up into that whole Freedom Soft because that was like the the biggest marketing thing that was out there at the time. So, but that being said, I learned a lot from it. And um, also, we also, also joined a major coaching program. But what I was able to do, and a lot of people have always asked me about how, how were you able to be successful so quickly is within three months, I had made back the investment I put into the coaching. So, um, but that, I, I put that all on the, taking a bunch of action and getting out there and beating the streets, you know. Um, so my story is I was in 10 years, I was working in a warehouse before I was inspired by my uncle and then I got, um, I was researching stuff and ran across the freedom soft and I went through their training and yeah, of course, then it's way more expensive than this now. Uh, but yeah. So that's awesome, man. So you started off in a business as a wholesaler Yeah. and you said within three months you made, did you do one deal during that three months to make your money back or 
Did you do multiple deals? Three wholesale deals. Three wholesale deals in three months. Just getting started. Actually, the first two happened in the, in the very first month, and the third one happened in the next month. Gotcha. So what differentiated you from you know, 99.99% of the people out there who don't take action? Like what, what, what was the difference between you and everyone else that helped you to get to that first three deals in, in, in a three-month time frame? Well, um, really what it was is, first of all, it starts with mindset. You got to decide you're going to do something and say, I'm not going to take whatever's happening. So for me, but it was just, it was just take, it, I just jumped uh, to me. I, I figured I know there's people out there. I think people, some people join these major coaching programs, spend tens of thousands of dollars. And it's like, they just want to be a part of the crowd or something like we're going to be a part of the club. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to be just a guy who joined something and then let it sit on the shelf. But I, in my mind, I said, if I put this much money into it, I'm getting that money back. If nothing else, I'm getting my money back. I put into this. So um, it was just really mindset and just a decision to step out and take action. So my first, uh, my first deals came from bandit signs back in the day. So I was, I was handwriting and driving around putting out signs and I built it up. So I was putting up about uh, over 200 signs a month um because it was working so i was heavy on that back in the day so i got a lot of deals uh from bandit signs back then a lot allow there's so many other technology technology things that are available now we don't do bandit signs as much as we do it's more for we do that more for finding buyers um but yeah it's just it's it's just you gotta decide you gotta get in your head why you're doing it to motivate yourself and you just gotta get in there and take action you can't sit on the sidelines nobody's gonna do it for you that's so right. You got a decision to step out and just take action. Absolutely. Abs a hundred percent correct, man. And that's what most people lack. A lot of people want to point fingers and they want to blame other people for their lack of action. And that's why they tend to fail. But the real people who make money in this business take action. They it's a no holds barred approach to investing. They don't blame other people, they take responsibility. They take the, the little bit of, they take one nugget. Even if you took one nugget from this podcast today, you take that nugget and actually apply it. And uh, that's how you get results. You build a, a library of nuggets, so to speak. And, right. and then from there, you, you just apply what you learn. That's the real secret to success. It's not necessarily, you know, there's no big secret to the whole thing. It's just taking it and giving it time. Time is important, right? Mm -hmm. Most people don't give it enough time to be able to succeed. They look at other people's success and compare it. So they might hear that you did three deals in 90 days and say, if I don't do three deals in 90 days, I'm, I'm quitting. Right. But your story, your journey is going to be different. Everybody's journey is different in business. It took me 13 months to do my first $1,500 deal. And uh, after that, I made my first $48,000. Yeah, that's funny. I'm, I'm my first deal. I'm, I did everything wrong. I want to make 1500 bucks too. Oh, wow. <laughs> the very first wholesale deal. Yeah. I, 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 flipped, I closed the deal, made some money, but I butchered that deal. <laughs> yeah. I flipped, a, I flipped a sandwich shop, my first deal. It wasn't even a, a, a oh, real, it wasn't even a wholesale. First, first one, huh? Yeah, I went, I flipped a sandwich shop. Someone wanted to buy, a, somebody that I knew wanted to buy a sandwich shop. And uh, I knew somebody who was selling a sandwich shop. So I just kind of squeezed myself in and made 1500 bucks. But that was after a year, a year and a month in a business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
It was pretty yeah, awesome. A lot of people, um, everybody's success happens at different, at different rate and in different stages. Uh, but the, the idea is because I feel like what happens to most, most people who fail is they quit right before they were about to get that first deal. Yep. Most people they, quit they, way they too early. They put out a few sign, a few banded signs, or sent a couple mailers, or maybe bought, got a text service, sent out a few texts, but they only did a few times and they didn't stick with it. Yeah. Nothing, nothing happens if you're not consistent. That's right, man. You got to be consistent. You got to stick with it. Don't ever quit. If you have that mentality, then there's no way you're going to fail. You know, you just got to right. keep pushing, man. So uh, you're rehabbing right now. You know, yes. you started off in a business as a, as a wholesaler. How did you get into rehabbing? Uh, well, um, what happened was, is I, you know, I was seeing some, I was seeing some of the profits other people were making from the fix and flip. And actually, so we did, I think we did five wholesales. Um, and then after five, I did our first rehab because, um, so I started networking. I knew I needed to find some capital. So I found some, uh, I had family members who had, you know, retirement accounts who were willing to work with me. So the real reason was just cause I, um, I was out there talking and I found people who had financing. So I said, you know what, I got, I got financing to do it. So let's do it. Um, so I just wanted to, I want to take a step further because, um, wholesaling is a, um, it's, uh, it's driven by, you know, by the amount of deals you do It's quantity. Yeah. Um, flipping is not always about quantity. It's about, um, you know, you can, you might, you might take five wholesale, four or five wholesalers to make the same thing you're making in a flip. Um, so that's why I started flipping just for the bigger paydays, really. So Gotcha. You know, it's interesting, man. You know, I have this formula. Um, you know, when I was rehabbing, I would wholesale four or five houses and then I would flip one. I would mm -hmm. do it again. And then by the, by the time I'm ending my second flip, I could take all that cash and buy a rental property. That's basically what I've been doing for 20 years. Um, and doing the wholesaling keeps you liquid too. So wholesaling keeps you liquid. Rehabbing gives you the, the, the huge chunks and you can take all that money and build the, the passive income, the residual right. income for rentals. Mm -hmm. um, these days I kind of flip that a little bit where I'm doing more creative investing in order to get the rental mm -hmm. properties. But that was the formula that I used for years and it just made me, a ton of money, man. Um, so rehabbing, like you said, you know, at the end of the day, you have wholesaling where you get smaller paydays uh, and you're only as good as your last deal with, uh, right. with wholesaling. But with rehabbing, you could do one of those. So if, what, what, what takes you 20 houses in wholesaling during the course of the year, say you were to wholesale 20 houses, you could do four of them and make just as much money on a rehab side, right? Right, right. Yeah, because um, from from our experience here in in my area, and we're close to Tampa, but now I live over in Polk County, which is in Lakeland between Orlando and Tampa. Yeah, so we do a lot of Lego our, land, know, man. People call that Central Florida, so we do a lot of our deals there now. Um, so, so, so you're near Lego Land? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I've, um, I've actually sold a few out, flipped a few houses right down in that area. Oh wow, okay. But we do some creative stuff too, Jamel. Um, we uh, I I have we have several rental properties that are that we bought. I say the rental. We bought them subject to, and then we financed them out. So we it's like a, some people call it slow flip, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've done that too. Um, so we do that, and we also buy fix. And for our rentals, a lot of a lot of our rentals are also properties we bought we picked up as rehabs, 
and re and the numbers were right, so we refied and kept them. Because mm -hmm. currently we have eight rental properties ourselves, so we're trying to build that uh, portfolio up too on top of because at the end of the day, wholesaling and rehabbing is active income, and uh, rental is much more passive. So yep. the goal is to wholesale, fix and flip, buy rentals. So eventually, I don't have to do the active side; I just live off the income from the rentals. You know, that's right, man. Active income is money that you have to work for. Right. Passive income is money that you don't have to do anything for. You just get paid the same amount as long as you own that property. Right. right? Absolutely. So uh, what, what are some of the misconceptions that people have when it comes to wholesaling versus rehabbing? Uh, misconceptions? Um, but you mean the difference between the two? As yeah, far so, as well, let me rephrase that. What are some of the things that people what are some of the thoughts people have in regards to the rehab business versus wholesaling? I, I know that in wholesaling, for example, uh, you get smaller checks. Uh, right. People think rehabbing is a lot harder than wholesaling. What are your thoughts on like some of the things that people, what are some of the, the pros and cons I, I would say when it comes to rehabbing versus wholesaling? Well, the, uh, first of all, the pros of rehabbing, number one, of course, is the bigger payday checks. Um, but the con of flipping is there's a lot, there's more risk involved. Wholesaling, you never have to, if you are signing property, you never have to own that thing. And even if, even if you're double closing, you own it for a few hours and it's over. So you have little to no risk on the wholesale side. Um, but on rehab, you got to put your money where your mouth is. So there's more risk there. But I would say as far as a misconception, some people think you have to have a lot of money to get involved in renovating properties. Not true. You have to know how to network and use other people's money. Um, because they're, um, because I don't, uh, for, for buying, uh, our flips, nine times out of 10, we don't use our own money. Um, yeah. we use, we have private individuals that we build a network of people who have retirement accounts or things like that. And they are looking for a, a higher return on their money than their 2% that they're getting in their, retirement account so um the misconception between wholesaling is there is more risk uh but you don't necessarily have to have as much money as people think because if you set yourself upright and have some partners to back and network out there and find money partners um then it doesn't really take as much capital as you think to get involved which, in. which i think finding money is probably the hardest part of the whole thing um right. and it can be the easiest part as well it really all depends on you know, someone's network, networking abilities. What are some, what are some tips that you can give to our listeners in regards to uh, getting their first private money lender? Let's just say. Uh, well, my first private money lender was family. So um, that got me started. That, uh, but the funny thing is sometimes family is harder to, harder to convince than other people and also harder to work with at times. Um, but when it came to growing it and to be where we could do multiple rehabs, a lot of it just came from because um, I have lenders who lend to me who, mess, who, who, who they contacted me on Facebook. They never met me in person before they loaned me money. They contacted me on Facebook. Um, and these are hard money or private money individuals? Private money. Private. Yeah. So, so I, I, I was, you know, always putting stuff online, um, uh, pictures of our, our rehabs, things we're doing. And one day I get this message from someone. He says, hey, man, I see what you're doing. I saw you did some new construction, doing some rehabbing. I'd be interested in getting involved in that. 
Next thing I know, I was on the phone having a conversation, and then I sent what, I, and also sent him a case study, kind of of a overview of a deal we did with another investor and how much money they made and how it was set up. Um, and he was convinced pretty quickly. But the the reason was because um, I put it out there what I do. I just, I mean, a lot of people. I understand some people want to keep their social media kind of personal, and I get that. Um, in fact, I have two different profiles in it myself. But um, the truth is, I, I get up there and talk about what I do on social media, and we get uh, lenders from that method. And also, another way we found a lot of our more recent lenders is we started uh, a reorganization. And uh, a lot of our lenders that we met directly through that, through that real estate association. So going out and networking and going out to RIA groups. And also, we, we met ourselves – we pres- and put our we put ourselves in a position of authority because we started real group. So come people people come to us for advice. Not that we're perfect and know everything, but we set that up. So when you get out there and talk about what you do, join real groups, or even maybe start your own little group, um, it gives you uh, a position of authority or of a thought leader, and that that creates a whole nother stream of potential private lenders when it comes to your business. So a lot of our lenders came from just putting out there what we do, talking about what we do and just in casual conversation. Cause I found that it doesn't matter who they, who you talk to, everybody is really interested in real estate, whether they're involved in it or not, their interest just peak when you just talk about it. So a lot of it comes from just getting out there and letting people know what you do. Absolutely, man. Very, very true. hundred percent, man. And um, you know, obviously what, what I like, for those of you who don't know what a hard money lender is versus a private money, hard money is more institutionalized, uh, where uh, even though they're not a not a bank, there's still going to be some credit checks and things like that. Even though they say they're an asset based lender, you know, I've dealt with a lot of hard money lenders over the years. They still check your credit. They still want to make sure that you're filing taxes and stuff like that. Where as a private money lender, they don't care about any of that stuff. They just, right. This is somebody with extra income or extra money laying around that they just want to lend and do something with the money. So like Jason said, contact your family members, contact everybody you know first, start in your own circle, and then start branching out and get referrals and things like that as well. So when it, when it comes to the, the private funds, you know, another thing, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, Jason, mm-hmm. um, are you paying less and interest and upfront points, if any, uh, on your private loans, your private notes versus your your hard money loans. Uh, well, my my private notes, um, we pay significantly less. Uh, it's uh, well, not always less than interest, always less than points. Mm-hmm. Because because when it comes to hard money, because we still use some hard money sometimes, um, but uh, hard money gets easier as you have a track record. Mm-hmm. Because generally, a hard money lender, when they to, when they're deciding your interest rate, they'll check your credit, but that's not necessarily how they decide your interest rate. They decide your interest rate by your experience. Right. So when you get to the point, so for us, somebody, if I'm contacting a new hard money lender, and they say, "Give me a list of deals," I can like send them pages of deals, and it's like, okay, I. Uh, so it's easy. Hard money gets easier with experience, mm-hmm. um, and the interest rate gets lower because um, our hard money, a lot of times, our hard money is down as low as eight percent. But what happens is, is you got points and attorney's fees and, um, and appraisal fees, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So generally, if I'm, if I'm doing a deal where hard money is involved, I, I, I got to tap like $10,000 right into the holding cost on that so from, the, from, the, from the outset. 
um, because it's because the interest rate is not what gets you. It's the points and the attorney fees. Uh, a lot of people call them uh, BS fees, right? Um, that are involved in hard money. So that's what we, uh, that's what we deal with hard money. So you're going to, I, I, like I said, I automatically tack 10, 10 grand on top of a deal when I'm using hard money because over time with the interest only payments and things like that, it's going to, it's going to uh, hit you. But with private lenders, another thing that's great with private is um, for people who are in a, not in a great cash flow position, if you get a hard money lender, you got to make those monthly interest payments. Yep. Whereas if you're dealing with a private, a lot of times private lenders, because you're in more, you're in more control and more dictating the deal a little bit. You, a lot of times you don't have to pay those payments to the end. So you don't, so only monthly, only thing on a regular basis, you're doing as far as home costs is, you know, utilities and things like that. So the big difference is if the points and all the fees that go along with hard money um, and those monthly interest um, payments, yeah, was, not, you got to think about that because that's going to be part of your budget. Those interest payments are no joke sometimes, especially if you don't like with a private money lender, I would roll the payments into the loan and then just right. pay them off at the end. Hard right. money. They want their money every month. Now you can negotiate payment roll, uh, payment, uh, your payments roll into the loan, but from my experiences, I haven't been able to do that with a hard money lender. No, it's very difficult. Most, very of, them difficult. Just, most of them won't even listen to that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, so it's, um, it's a lot cheaper money to go private than it is hard. Absolutely. So if you could build those relationships privately, I would definitely suggest doing that. Then there's right. something called right. gap right. lenders. If you had $10,000 in cost, that's, that, that's $10,000 out of your pocket, right? Yeah, exactly. If you cost you $10,000 have hard money loan, that's going right out of your profit. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Then there's something called gap lenders as well. You know, let's say right. you needed to borrow that $10,000. You could borrow that $10,000 and give it back later uh, with someone that's called a gap lender. So you have right. hard money lenders, you have private money lenders, and you have gap lenders. A gap lender is going to fill in the void for you. Right. For the amount of money because, that you need to bring uh, to the table. When you get, yeah, when you get hard money, hard money in most cases, they'll, they'll only pay like 80% of the purchase. And right now with the whole, um, the whole stuff that's going on, um, what's going on with that is uh, some of those, a lot of those hard money lenders are stiffening up their criteria. They're not, they're not as open to a loan right now. So they are, they are going to check your credit. They are going to, um, they might, a lot of them, and a lot of them will take maybe like three interest payments up front when you close um, and things like that. So they're, they're getting a little bit harder on a hard money side just because, but what we have done, you're talking about a gap funder. We would use that also. When I, in the beginning, when I first, when we started, and we still do it today sometimes, is we'll pull a hard money loan, but we'll have a private money lender that comes up with that 20% mm-hmm. um, that they won't, that they won't loan on the purchase side. This works well in, in commercial real estate as well. It's the same yeah. exact concept. The only difference is you're dealing with more units, you know? Right. So, um, so let's talk about a, uh, let's give them a, let's say a five-step process to getting their first deal done successfully as a rehab flipper. As a rehabber? Mm-hmm. Um, five, five steps. Number one, you got you to gotta know how to find the deal, obviously. So let's talk about that. Let's, let's yeah. pause okay. there. Well, what would you recommend? What's working for you right now when it comes to finding deals? Um, our best, well, we always have we, we always have a good amount of referrals every year just because we've been doing it so long. But as far as paid marketing strategy, our best strategy right now has been uh, we've been doing text messaging. Yeah, same um, that, here. That's our best return because um, text messaging. I mean, text messaging is, is cheaper than direct mail. 
Uh, it's easier in cold calling because with cold calling, you have to, you know, I, I, we did that. We, we still do some of that, but you hire a VA, train them, you have them call. But with text, it's, it's very easy to train someone to handle texts that are coming in. So they, so that way, whenever I text home, when somebody's interested in buying, that's when I see it. So, um, but texting has been very, very effective. Very, very good for us. In the last, well. Especially in the last, in the last six months, it's been yeah. very, very um, great for finding deals. For and sure, what, man. What, and you would recommend the same thing if I say this. Um, it doesn't matter if you're wholesaling or rehab. If you want to have a constant flow of deals, it, you're going to have to have more than just one marketing strategy going at one time. You're going to have three to five going. If you want a consistent lead, lead flow, you're going to have three to five different marketing campaigns going at a time to keep that flow going. Yeah. Um, and just right now for us, texting has been the best return on our investment dollars. For what do you, what do you feel like you're spending from uh, on a cost per deal? What do you, what are you spending right now? Cost per deal to, to get a rehab deal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with the texting uh, we're getting, we're getting a deal on a contract for about every two to 3000 text and the texts to cost us. Um, so what, what comes as far as the expense for text and it's just for the people who are listening is you got the cost of your data, right? Although a lot of your data can go right to the county and get it. Um, but you, you got the cost of gathering or compiling data. You got the cost of skip tracing and you get the cost of the, of the, of the text themselves. And if you compare that to a direct mail campaign, where it costs you 40, 50 cents, we'll, we'll get a, a list skip trace for 12 cents. And then we'll text for like two cents. Um, and then the cost of the thing. So we're in we're somewhere between 15 and 20 cents per text. And it takes us about two or 3,000, two to 3,000 texts to get a deal. It's about 600 bucks roughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as, and if you compare that to the direct mail strategy we used before, you're, you're spending, you're over a thousand Sometimes oh. two thousand to get a deal from direct mail. Sometimes three three thousand. It's costing yeah. me about thirty two hundred dollars to get a yeah. You're up there. Deal through 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 direct mail, but it costs us about four fifty to get a deal through text messaging. Right. You know, so we we're, still we're do similar range on cost. Yeah. Yeah, we still do direct mail. Uh, what we do is we follow up with we we send out a direct mail campaign. We follow up with a Ringley's voicemail. Then we'll send them a text blast right after. Okay. You know, cool. um, that's, and, and we still do a lot of cold calling as well. I have virtual assistants who do cold calling. Right, right. right so do we. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I'm glad you, you mentioned those marketing strategies. Uh, are you still finding deals on the MLS? Because as a rehabber, you can still find deals on the MLS. Yeah, you, deals on the MLS don't, are not as plentiful yeah. um, as, not as right now. Areas. But when it comes to, to um, buying off the MLS, a lot of times it's just it's rela- it's relationships with agents. Yeah. And it's also, you know, going to make offers on properties that have been sitting for like 60, 90 days yep. and not getting any action. Those are the people who are going to be more motivated because they hadn't sold. And there's some reason behind that. Uh, e- either, either it's their agent or it's, the, or it's the condition of the house, whatever it may be. So we do off the MLS, but we don't, hardly make, we don't really make offers on the MLS properties until they've been there for like 60, 90 days. I like a 90 day. I do everything 90 days and up. Yeah. You know, because um, if you do it any earlier than that, first of all, if it just hit the market for investors, a lot usually there's like a 14 day or whatever period before you can even make an offer anyway. And if it's a, if the deal's right, a lot of times they're going in those 14 days. So you're right. You have to, you have to get the, those stale listings for to find good deals on the MLS. For sure, man. For sure. So, 
your first step is finding the deals. What's the next step? Uh, so finding the deal. Next step is um, if you're if you're going to rehab. Next next step we already talked about is securing funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's what I tell everybody: whether you're wholesaling or rehabbing, if a deal's good enough, the buyer and the money is there. If you're out there letting people know what you do, if the deal's good enough, whether you're wholesaling or buying a fix and flip, the money or the buyer is there if the deal's good enough. Yep. Um, so, so you have to secure the funding. But another key step, and this is probably the most cha- third, most challenging step when it comes to rehabbing, is finding reliable contractors. Um, if you use the right marketing tactics, you can find deals. If you get deals on a contract that are that are really good deals, the money's not hard to find. But the real challenge that we've had and the most turnover we have in our business is with licensed contractors. It's um, it's very difficult sometimes to find a really good contract. So you're using licensed, con- do you ever use subcontractors? I, I do use subs, um, but anytime, if, if I'm doing a larger deal, um, if, I'm, if you're going to put, 30 plus thousand in a deal. Yeah, Usually I'm yeah. using a, G, a GC. Um, yeah. That's simply because standard, um, if I don't have a GC, then I'm the one that's got to manage that thing. And I don't want to spend all my time. If I spend all my time managing a project, sure. I, I pay a premium. I, I don't pay a premium, but I, I lose a little bit of profit by hiring a general contractor, but I free up so much of my time to work on the business instead of running out mm-hmm. and putting out fires or rehab projects. So, so the contractor you're paying about 20% to, 20% of the, uh, the rehab cost? Um, yeah, some, probably some, roughly something like that. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is how much money contractors make. So um, when it comes to deals, if you look at the, if you look at the money contract, they're making a good amount of money off those deals. So what we do is, because I know that, um, we convince them, hey, if you work with us, we're going to give you continued business. I'm not just somebody that's going to come – actually come rehab a kitchen and change my mind three times in the middle of the project. Because what we do is if you were to drive around Lakeland, you would recognize every one of our house because they're painted the same colors. They have the same roofs. They have the same general landscaping as far as the shrubs. They have the same wall color on the inside, the same material everywhere. It's all the same. So for uh, it's convincing them to work for me at a wholesale rate because I'm going to give you a repeat business and there's no guesswork. So um, we have a right now have a contractor who's been with us for, uh, for a couple of years now. And he don't even, he don't even need to know what the materials are. He automatically has some left over from next job and pass it. So he's already prepared because we do the same thing. So the idea is to find a contractor who buys into your system. That's funny, man, that you mentioned that. Cause when I was doing my rehabs heavy, we, I mean, it was, cookie cutter to the T man. I mean, same paint color, same floor, same kitchen appliance. I mean, we would go by the Arcadia cabinets in, uh, in Lowe's. We had mm-hmm. the same yep. countertop, same everything, man. Uh, same. So we knew the cost down to the T of what it was going to cost. Uh, now with new construction, I know this is a different topic, but with new construction, you can actually calculate down to the very dollar and scale it with rehabbing. You open up a wall and you can open yeah. up a can of worms. So that's the difference between the two. You really don't, you can have an estimate with rehabbing uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, fixing properties up with, with, uh, with new construction. You know, the difference is because you're building it, you know, down to the very dollar, how much you're actually. Right. Using. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, so, well, so the thing that, mm-hmm. uh, 
a lot something that new a lot of new investors don't think about is they watch these flip shows on TV where oh. they're buying these <laughs> massive rehabs. They're putting 50, 60, 100 plus thousand dollars in rehab. If you're brand new, I don't care what those shows say. Don't do it. Go buy some, go buy a paint and carpet deal. Yep. That's <laughs> right, man. They go, they go buy some 1920s bungalow that's, uh, that has asbestos siding and, and lead paint and all this stuff you got to abate. They're doing it, it for TV. The first, the first rehab I did, because um, I, I started my first rehab, I did it in 2010, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I bought a house that was built in 2006. And all I had to do was I, I had the garage doors, Dennis, we put a new garage door. We painted, we put new flooring in and replaced the countertops. It was entirely cosmetic. Lipstick so, job, man. That's what we call those. Throw some lipstick on it. Call it a day, right. man. But that's if you're new. That's where you want to start. You don't want to jump in. Although sometimes there's more money in those big projects. There's also a, a lot, a heck of a lot of risk. Yeah. So my first two rehabs I did myself, right? Mm -hmm. And I quickly learned that that's not the way to do this. We're talking, man. We're talking early two thousands. I literally I didn't know anything about painting. I didn't know anything about rehabbing a house. I I looked at. I had this Home Depot book. Remember the orange Home Depot book? Yeah textbook still got it in my office i uh i went through the like the first 10 pages that i said i don't need to read all of this stuff i know how to paint a wall <laughs> right so i went in and it took me three months to rehab that house myself i didn't hire any contractors i figured out that that's not the way to go um do you recommend someone just getting started to try to do that on their own no absolutely <laughs> not well because here's what happens it takes way longer if you do it. Um, and what happens is you get so involved in that rehab that by the time, by the time that one's done, you don't have another one lined up. Yeah. That was my so then you gotta Then you got to start your whole marketing process again because you didn't have time to run marketing campaigns because you're busy fixing the house. Yeah. So then you, and, and you know, with marketing, it's a consistency and you build momentum over time. But if you're marketing, find a deal, and then spend three or four months fixing it yourself, and then you got to start over marketing again to find another deal. Um, you're 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 pulling money right out of your pocket. A lot mm -hmm. of people think, "Well, I can do it cheaper if I do it myself." Well, think about this: if you have a loan, if because for instance, um, we have some projects that have taken longer over the years, obviously, but our typical project is about six weeks to to, to rehab. So, that, but that same project takes six weeks. If I did it, it's taken easily double, if not triple the same time that a contractor takes to do it. And um, by the time that one's done, if you're in the beginning, by the time, if you're, if you're not doing it, somebody else is doing it, by the time that one's done, you're ready to buy another one. Or, and over time, you're ready to buy two or three at a time once you have a good crew of, of contractors working with you or builders working with you. So. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't, they think, you don't realize how much time it takes. Um, that's just like in wholesaling. A lot, of, a lot of us talk about when you're wholesaling to, to you know, to get out test the VAs. The reason we do that, even though it costs us money at a VA, is because that's tedious time wasting for us. It's not, it's not a good, it's not revenue generating. Right. Um, and you working on a house is not generating revenue. It's just taking a bunch of time and time's more valuable than money. So, 
That's right, man. So we got find the deals. We got find the money, find the contractors. So what's step number four? Step number four is um, you got to have a general idea. You got to teach yourself a general idea of construction because if you don't know a little bit about construction, about the cost, contractor is going to eat you alive. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe that 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 probably should have came before the contractor and my and <laughs> five things, but um, it's very it's very good. Even if, go to Home Depot and go through different products to find out how much they cost. Um, talk to a contractor and if you get a bit large, call to the contractor and give them a breakdown. Uh, how much it costs per square of shingles to do a roof, you know, because if you know what the baseline costs of those are, then you won't get, you're not nearly as liking, likely to get taken advantage of by a contractor because you know a little bit about yourself. So if I would say educate yourself on the cost of construction itself, so you understand that. So when you do hire a contractor, you don't pay more than you should. And you are able to negotiate them and work with you based on the idea that you're going to have more than one job with you. So, you need to really uh, study and understand uh, the construction process to some extent. You don't have to know everything, but you got to know an, a general idea of what yeah. goes on in renovating a house. I 100% agree with that. You know, for years, what I would do is uh, I would buy all the material and then I would only pay the contractor labor. So that way, I, you know, a couple of tips for you guys. I never gave contractors money up front. Oh, one, absolutely. The one time that I did, I had to go hunt the contractor down and make him finish the job. I literally hunted him down and I had to, you know, make him finish the job. Right. But uh, for the most part, um, that was a learning lesson for me. Yeah. So, so take it, you know, however you want. But I would buy all the material, pay for it online, and then go ahead and have the contractor just simply go pick it up. Once they pick it up, um, you you get the job started and the way we do things jason we you know demo was the first couple of days and then clean out during the first week by the end of that first week once everything is done i'll walk through then i'll cut you a check that's how we did it we never gave any money up front right. we need the material i'll order the materials you go pick it up the first installment um uh, will cover the material and the labor once it's installed and then so on and so forth for right. four to five payments that's the way we worked it for years, man. And it just, it, we streamlined the whole thing. So another tip mm -hmm. um, I give to people is um, a, a way to protect yourself is I, I, we do the same thing. Now I don't buy materials. I like the contractor buy materials, but what I do when he quotes me, I give him, I give him to break down the labor and the material separately so I can see it because I want to know where the money's going. So I let them do it because I don't want to deal with that. That's another thing I try to take off my plate, but even when you're dealing with a contractor and you're, you're always, always stay ahead on work and behind on money. So always you I don't do, we don't pay anything to works complete, right? Same as you. But another key factor that people have to realize is there's this one little form that will save your butt over and over again. And it's called a lien waiver. Yep. Lien waiver. So a lot of people just do like a final unconditional lien waiver, lien waiver at the very end. I do a lien waiver for every time I cut a check. Mm. So it's called a progress lien waiver. That's a good, so that's a good tip right there. I, yeah. I've, I've only ever done, I did a contractor's agreement. We did the, uh, the scope of work. Uh, we did the insurance liability waiver, and then we did the final and unconditional lien waiver. I like the fact that you, you mentioned the progress waiver. How does that work? So um, 
I, I just tell a contractor up front before we get started, I'm not going to cut you a dime worth of money. I'm not going to cut you any checks until you sign this paper. You have to sign this first, then I cut the check. That's just, and I just tell them that up front because uh, I'll tell you what happens is if you wait to the end of a final unconditional lien, lien waiver, what if that contractor starts acting crazy in the middle? Mm. You don't have a lien waiver for that stuff. So I, I'll give you a story. We um, actually renovated a house. Uh, it's when I came, you know, I've done most of my business in Tampa. It was it's the first, one of the first renovation pro projects that I did over here in Polk County. So I was working with a new contractor. Um, so here we are. So we're doing it through, and I was doing the lien waiver every single time. So um, we're about three weeks into the project, and, and I get a call from one of the subs that says, hey, I didn't get paid. I said, well, I paid, I paid the contractor. You should also got paid. That's another thing you learn is make those up subs sign lien waivers too. Um, but so they started calling me. I, I had like two or three call me. So what's going on with this guy? So I called him and he, and he said, oh, I paid him. And, the, and, and, I, and he, but he could never prove it. So over time, I just got fed up with it. I realized because all these people could call me. So I said, so finally I went there. I said, you know what? I said, um, and he was doing decent work. I said, I, I, don't, I, I can't trust you. You're not paying your subs. So I fired him. Right. I fired him and he was, and he was on two, two, two different houses at one time at the time I fired him and he leaned each house for $10,000 a piece saying that I didn't pay him. But because I had the lien waivers, um, I was able to get rid of that. So what we had to do when we sold the property in order to sell it, we had to, we had to pay the bond off that, um, the bond off the, the way he's trying to lease right. for the money. And it took like 30 days after we sold it, but we ended up getting the money back. We lost some money in fees and things like that. But if we hadn't done that, I'd have been, I would have been out 20,000 bucks because if I didn't have the progress lien waivers. Mm. Um, so I'm very, um, we're, we're very, very strict on that. I'm not paying until you sign a lien waiver. That's every time I write a check, you're signing a lien waiver. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. I like that idea, man. If I get back into rehabbing myself, um, I, I think that's going to be the way to go. Uh, another quick question for you. So what, how are you, like, what are some of the steps that you're taking in order to get the rehab project done? Like, what are you doing first to last? First to last, um, we typically like to work outside in for major things. For, first things demo. So we try to work outside in. Now I'm not talking about necessarily like we paint the outside in the beginning, but, uh, roof windows, things like that. We work, we try to work outside in, um, and then, um, so Which is, let me, let me stop you right there. That's a really, that's the way I did it. The reason why we did that, uh, we, the reason why we did that personally is so that we could get the outside done. Wasn't necessarily getting the landscaping done. I was last, but, um, we slapped, we, as long as the house looked good in the front, we slapped the sign outside to start drawing some in. Right. The pre-sale. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like a coming soon sign. Exactly. 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 Mm -hmm. So that's so why that's we always work outside in. Um, and then the, you know, the first things you do after demo is the major things is, you know, the, if you have AC, if you got to do AC or any plumbing work that happens, cause you have to have, you have to get to the rough first. But a lot of times right now, what we're doing is we're not, I'm trying to stay away from too many heavy projects because I don't want to be in very long because mm -hmm. of the, the unemployment rate has went up so high because of the situation out there right now. Um, our, the market not, has not downturned yet, as we spoke about earlier, but um, I, I feel like at some point this unemployment, six or 12 months down the road, 
has to affect the market to some extent. I don't know how much, but to some extent. So I'm, we're trying to stay in lighter projects right now. Uh, but we work outside in. So if you're doing like a full rehab, outside in, uh, major mechanicals first, then kitchens, baths. Um, and then the, the final touches is, you know, the flooring and things like that. Got it. That's, and that's a rough overview, I know. But Awesome, man. So what would be step number five then? Step number five is, um, is a good real estate agent. Mm. Um, and, and trust me, they're not all created equal. Um, although when you rehab a property to a, when you do it right, when you do the work right on rehab, it's usually a typically a fairly easy sell for a realtor. Um, but you have to have, you have to find a realtor who's very good at communicating. Yeah. Um, so we also, not only do we communicate very well, but we also, with our realtors, we negotiate. So instead of paying the full 6%, we negotiate their fee down because we're giving them multiple projects. Uh, a lot of people say, and then people say, why don't you get your license? Just listen to yourself. Again, that's another thing of, of taking me take time that somebody else should be doing that I could be finding, you know, working on the business, finding more deals, finding more funding to keep, to keep things going. But it's very important to find an investor friendly real estate agent who understands the value of continued work and who is an excellent communicator. The, the worst thing you ever run into is a real estate agent that doesn't, that doesn't communicate at all. They have to be a very good communication because I mean, they're, they're a middleman to get the thing done. Um, they're talking to the title company, they're talking to the other agent or the, or the buyer, they're talking to you. So if they, if they fail in communication, it's just gonna take you that much longer to close the deal. And the longer it takes to close the deal, the more interest you're paying. Also, um, you wanna find an agent that is willing to work with you as well, a flexible right. agent. Mm -hmm. Someone that's gonna be a team player. Right, right. Interesting thing, we have one of our agents, actually, um, he came to one of our Rio events, and he started lending money to us. Um, so since he's, so every time he lends money, we also give him the listing. But he's also the best agent I've ever worked with. So now we give him not only the ones he lends on, we give him all of them because he is he has a system. He has a thing where I, every anytime everything happens, um, I don't I don't know what database or system he's using, but I get an email when there's a showing. I get an email when there's when there's comments on that, um, and he'll call me like once a week and say, "Here's where we at. Here's how many people looked at it." Um, he'll make recommendations as if we need to adjust price, things like that. Um, so you have to have somebody who's going to work with you and communicate very well because communication is the key when it comes to selling real estate with a real estate agent because there's so many, there's lenders, there's title companies, there's agents. There's so many people involved. They got to be excellent communicators. Absolutely, man. You don't want to pick one who's, who does like one listing a year for a family member. You want somebody who actually has a system and business going. Yeah, man. Great points today, man. So you got uh, step number one is to find the deals. Step number two is to go ahead and find private money for those deals. Step number three is to find the contractors. Understand your your costs uh, when it comes to uh, rehabbing and work from the outside in as well. You know, step number right. four. And then step number five, go ahead and, and find an excellent team playing realtor to do some business with. The realtor is going to handle the, the heavy load as far as selling the houses and getting you paid at the end of the day. It really is a, uh, you know, when I, when I started rehabbing, you know, the, the MLS was like the, the, the bread and butter for me back then. I didn't have to spend a lot of uh, money on marketing. But, um, you know, as time went on and more competition came into the market and, you know, uh, post, you know, uh, recession uh, from 08, 09, 
Uh, right. we definitely we're, we're in a position now where we have to do a lot more marketing in order to find a deal. So um, listen to this podcast over and over again if you're interested in rehabbing. It's definitely a great way to make money. Uh, it has to fit your personality. Um, and it, it, you know, understand that it's a very lucrative business if you apply everything that Jason talked about today. So Jason, I know you're, you're, you're a book reader. Um, are you currently reading anything right now? I'm always reading something. Um, and sometimes I, I read books over and over again. Sometimes I recently think that uh, recently something that I've read and I'm starting to apply to start and that I've applied to my business is a book called the 12 week year. Um, it's about how to get, um, the same amount done that most people do in a year in 12 weeks. So it's really, the book is really about just creating deadlines for yourself and motivating yourself because most people, they have a, this far out goal at the end of the year. It seems way out there. And then what happens is you get to the end of the year, the last two months of the year, and you're like, you're rushing trying to meet these goals. And then the holidays hit you. So it's like, man, so if you s- separate that into quarters um, and, and really, and have sharp, deadlines for what you want to accomplish, then you get a lot more done. So that's one that we've, that I'm, like that. I've, I've read actually like three times now and I'm applying more and more to our, to our business just to get more things done. So 12 week year, I'm definitely going to link that in the description box as well. And uh, I know that you, you have flip savage, the flip savage group on Facebook. Uh, we were just talking about that. In fact, uh, how can our listeners get in contact with you if they wanted more information or see if they could do some deals with you? Right. If they're interested in being a group, you can just, if you search Flip Savage on uh, Facebook, it's called Flip Savage, Flip Savage Secret Group. Um, you can join that. We, have, we, we put a lot of information in there, try to help people in there. Um, a lot of uh, trainings and things we do for free and with live Facebook videos and things. So you can do that. But if you, uh, on, on all social media, if you look up Jason M. Gaston, you'll find me in all the social media outlets, or you can see my, uh, my website at freedomflippingacademy.com. You can, uh, Freedom, freedomflippingacademy.com, Jason, Jason M. Gaston on all social media platforms, and Flip Savage Group on Facebook. Definitely check them out. Right. Jason, it's been a real pleasure having you, man. I'm, you know. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to to come on our show today, and yeah, I appreciate uh, you inviting me. You know, share some uh, some some great information, brother. But uh, listen, guys, as I always tell you guys, look at the end of the day, you can learn as much as you can, but education without implementation leads to nothing. If you don't apply what you learn, then you're never going to get anywhere in the business. So get out there, take massive action in order to get massive results. I'll talk to you on the next one. Check out my website at reieducationacademy.com. To make it easy, you can just simply go to jamelgibbs.com or check out my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash jamelgibbs. I'm all over the web whether it be on Facebook slash the Jamel Gibbs or on Instagram at Jamel Gibbs. I'm in LinkedIn as well. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Snapchat. Check out all of these platforms for daily content, weekly content, more content from Jamel Gibbs. But if you want to get more in depth, go to REI Education Academy. 
www.ryanbrown.com. And that's how you can find out more about my training material and how you can get started investing in real estate today. Talk to you later.